Let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 38, where we have not a pleasant chapter, and yet it is one that the Holy Spirit has recorded for us, and there's important pieces of historical information here that point us to the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll find that in the midst of this this chapter that deals with, once again, the, the sinful acts, the carnality of Jacob's family, and this is in the midst of it. It's almost a parenthesis. We were studying Joseph's career and how he's an example of of faith, even in the midst of severe trials and testing. And as a contrast to Joseph's life and Joseph's faith and his morality and his his uh, integrity, in contrast to that, we're going to see his older brother Judah, who falls woefully short of, of that example of his little brother Joseph. And so let's just read this passage, and we'll note a, a few things uh, in this passage that we can can learn. Again, it's not a pleasant chapter, but yet it is one that that I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to consider so that we understand so many things. The grace of God, the grace of God that brought the Son of God to this sinful family living in a sinful world, and yet God so loved the world that he sent his son, was born of this, this sinful family. That's the grace of God. So let's read beginning at verse 1 of Genesis 38. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chazib when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, Go in to your brother's wife and marry her, and raise up an heir to your brother. This was common in that, that day, and actually later became a part of the law, so that there would continue to be a heritage for each family, especially concerning the owning of property later on in the land of Canaan. But in verse 9 it says, But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass when he went in to his brother's wife that he omitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is, is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers." And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place 
which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife, as was promised her. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come in to you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, What pledge shall I give you? So she said, Your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that, Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlot tree. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. Now it came to pass at the time of forgiving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? Therefore his name was called Paris, which means divided. Afterward his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zira, which means east or, or brightness. So once again, we're not shielded from the ugliness of the vileness of the sinful nature of man, including this chosen family that God has chosen, through which God's plan and purpose was to bless all nations and to bring in the Savior for the entire human race. The account here of, of Judah's life probably takes place in that 22 years while Joseph was in Egypt. And so we have this little parentheses, or at least taking the focus off of Joseph in Egypt and coming back to, to Judah and Canaan, probably during that 22 years that Joseph was going through his trials in preparation to sit on the throne. So there's probably two purposes that the Holy Spirit has recorded this for us. Number one, it gives us an important piece of the genealogy of Jesus, Paris, as we'll find in both Matthew and Luke, the, the genealogies given there that Paris 
is there. And without this 38th chapter, we wouldn't know who that was or where he came from. The second purpose, I think, is especially when it's in the midst of Joseph's story here, it is to give us that clear contrast why God chose Joseph. Though he was next to the youngest of the family, and yet God chose him to rule over the family. And God is showing clearly that those who live by faith, God honors those who honor him. In both Matthew 1.1 and then also in Luke 3.23, we have two different genealogies given about Jesus. We won't take time to go through there, but one one emphasizes uh, Jesus's genealogy through his foster father, Joseph, and the other through Mary. But both of them come through Judah, and they come through Paris. And like I say, this is how we, we know who he is because we have this recorded for us. And to me, when you when you think of this, the Savior coming into the world, and you see the origin of his ge- genealogy, it just emphasizes the love and the grace of God that would send his son to die for such a race. As vile as the world in general was, and as vile as Jacob's family was, and then as we come to Judah, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he didn't choose Judah and his family because they were so wonderful. They needed salvation. They needed a Savior. And God sent that Savior to a race that didn't deserve it. And th- this is why those that that are angry at God for whatever reason in the world that mocks God and says, why does, if God is so good, why does he allow this or that? And, and there's just no understanding or revelation of the magnitude, the depth of of the grace of God that provided Jesus for our eternal salvation. Let's read several verses here in the New Testament that magnify God's grace that chose Jacob and his family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we come to Judah. Not because they were better than any other nation or any other people or any other tribe. And in Romans 3, 9, Paul writes, what then? Are we better than they? Are we Jews better than the Gentiles? Because that was the mentality of most Jews in that day. Because God chose us, he chose us because we're such a special people. No, you're a special people because he chose you. And they didn't quite grasp that. But Paul says, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. The law was given to the Jews. God chose Abraham and his descendants to preserve this message of a, the coming of a, of a redeemer, a redeemer of the whole human race. But he chose this family to keep them separate, gave them the law that made them distinct from everybody else, gave them the law to to present a standard of righteousness, which they couldn't keep, but at least that they would know that when God finally ushered in his son, the Savior, it wasn't because they were so good, because the law made it clear they were just as bad as anybody else. But because of God's grace, he brought in Jesus to save whosoever will. Acts 15, verse 7. Acts chapter 15 and verses 7 through 11. 
And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. In the house of Cornelius, he's referring to. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith, not by genealogy, but by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Talking about the law. There were some Jewish Christians that were saying, well, if Gentiles are going to be saved, they have to keep the law too. So Peter says, why, why would you do that? We, we couldn't keep the law. What, why should we expect the Gentiles to? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Peter had a way of getting to his Jewish brethren. He says, we're saved just like they were saved. Not, not the other way around. You know, if we were doing it, uh, our pride might say, well, they're saved just like we are. But he said, no, we are saved just like they are, all by faith. One more in Romans 11 and verses 32 to 36. Romans chapter 11, verse 32. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all, Jew and Gentile. And this is when Paul begins to contemplate the, the grace of God that brought this Savior to the world, born to a, to a sinful race, born to a sinful family like Judah. Paul's just overwhelmed. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever." Amen. May we never take this gift of salvation for granted. May we never allow our pride or arrogance to think, you know, well, we might, we might deserve God's blessing. We might deserve this or that, or I'm better than them. Or No, when we are given these glimpses of the vileness of the, of the flesh and the family of, of Judah and the family of Jacob, it's just reminding us that's, that's our flesh too. It's just as vile. It doesn't get better. I've been saved since I was five years old. My goodness, that's almost 60 years now. I've been saved. My flesh isn't any better than it was when I was five years old. It's just as vile. It's just as rotten. But God loved me anyway, saved me, gave me a new life and a new nature. May we never take that for granted. May we always give thanks for the grace of God. The contrasts between Judah and in Joseph's life, remember Judah was the brother that first suggested that they sell Joseph for a profit. Well, let's don't kill him. Let's make some money off of this deal. It was Judah that decided that, threw him in the pit and, and sold him. And we read that in Genesis 37. And by selling Joseph, Judah and his brothers thought, well, we're going to put an end to this little brother thinking he's going to rule over us. That's the end of that. 
And, of course, little did they know they were actually being used as instruments to get Joseph where he needed to be in order to rule over them. They didn't know that. Evil men cannot overthrow the purposes of God. And, and what a anchor of peace that is in the midst of a world full of evil men making evil choices. No one can overthrow what God's promised to me. Protection in this life, guidance, supply what I need to do his will, and glory in eternity. No one can take that away from me. Instead of defeating God's plan, they facilitated the fulfillment of that plan. In the meantime, Judah is faced with his own vileness, at least at the, at the end of the story. At least he recognizes where he failed, and that's a good starting point. He recognized that Tamar was more righteous than he was because he had made a promise that should have been fulfilled and was not. And then the, the birth of these twins, we have once again the, these twins that give us lessons. Judah, the older brother of Joseph, was fighting against the thought that his little brother would rule over him. Well, in the birth of the twins, we see once again that the older, the one that came out first with his hand, was usurped by the younger one, ultimately. And that's what's going to happen before we get through with the, the story. Judah, in the birth of his children, he's forced to see God saying, I'll do what I need to do. I'll do what I want to do. Men have their ideas, but God has his. I think we'll stop there tonight before we get into chapter 39 and get back to Joseph's wonderful life that is such a gem in the midst of all this other vileness and sin. We see such faithfulness, such integrity, such morality that is an example for us to, to follow as Christians in our life. Well, let's stand. We'll, we'll be dismissed.